welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy. Hey, Kingdom Culture family. So great to see you. Today is such a good day. And let me ask you, do you know why today is such a good day? Well, let me tell you, because today marks the soft launch, the official soft launch that our team is joining us in on live and in person at the Cineplex venue, Scotiabank Theater, that we've been using for several years now. We are there today with our team. It's just for those that are involved, encouraging you if you want to get involved uh, love for you to get involved in this season. But for those that are involved in our relaunch team, are there showing up. We're getting the gears moving again, oil flowing again. And so we're preparing for next week, October 3rd, which is our official relaunch, and all are welcome. And so if you feel comfortable coming into a live setting, I would encourage you, join us. If you're watching abroad and or you don't feel comfortable coming into a live setting and you live in Ottawa, guess what? We will keep coming at you each week at 10.30 online for a special online experience. So the online experience right now will be different than the live experience. We're not at a space or place yet where we can broadcast a live from the venue, but we're coming at you as we have for the last 18 months like this. So I'll be coming to you each and every Sunday as well. I'll also be live uh, with a live uh, community and congregation as Kingdom Culture meeting at the Cineplex. And that time is at 10 a.m. like it used to be. So we have two times. I want to make this very, very clear for all of those that are connected to the house and those that are wanting to connect. Uh, we have a 10 a.m. in-person live and a 1030 uh, Sunday online live experience for you. So there's two different times, two different things. The online is always going to be shorter than the in-person, okay? So just wanted to clarify that, but I am excited because it's been a long time coming. And so thank God for today that we are back and we're able to begin to move forward again and officially launch next week. So love to have you come out, join us next week. October 3rd is going to be amazing. Um, You know, I I just want to, like I said it already, I want to acknowledge that it's been um, an interesting 18 months. By the time we will go back in, in person, it will almost have been 19 months. And uh, I can't even, I'm just amazed that it's been that long so far. And so I, I'm praying and I'm believing that all the challenges that have taken place in the last 18 months or 19 months would pale in, in comparison to all the beautiful breakthroughs and things that God will do in the next 18 to 19 months. And not to say that it hasn't been good. There's been so much good in the last 18 to 19 months, but I'm excited for the next 18 to 19 months. And I say all of this with fear and trepidation in the sense of we don't know what's going to happen. 
and we can't make any promises. And one thing I've learned about the last season is that, and I was actually pondering this thought, it's like, you know, being, you know, 18 years in some sort of ministry mindset, you know, nothing really surprises me anymore. Well, in the last 18 months, uh, nothing surprises me when it comes to what the government can and might do. So we don't know what's going to happen in the, in the next month. We don't know after we launch what's going to happen. All I know is that we're going to take it one step at a time and believe that God's going to continue to add value, strength to our community as we step foot back into the door of meeting live. And yes, it's going to look different. It's going to be scaled down, really scaled down, you guys can be very different. We don't even have a lobby, but we're going to make it work, okay? So uh, please have grace for us in this season if you're deciding to join us in person. Um, it's going to take some time to get our feet moving again in strength. And so that's why I want to encourage you, if you want to be part of the relaunch team to help strengthen the house, we'd love to have you. Love to have you. Today's message, and it's a prophetic one, is something is something that is connects to something that I shared actually I believe it was the second week of January 2021 and it was sort of a prophetic message of where we were moving into as a season and if you remember there was a message called building undistracted and actually that was the subtitle the the title was shaking off intimidation and I was speaking about Nehemiah's journey in rebuilding the walls and so Today, we're taking a little, an element of that, an element of that message, or just even the underlying theme of that message, and I'm going to expand a little bit, and who knows, this may turn into something over the next, you know, several weeks, although next week I do have a really important word I want to share uh, next week that's totally separate and different from what I'm talking about today. So, but we are diving into something that I feel is very prophetic and encouraging in this season, and I'm going to accent it today. What I mean by that is it was shared at the beginning of the year, and I feel like if there was ever a time that it was super relevant, it's right now. It's right now. And so I'm talking on the subject, if you're taking notes, keys to rebuild. Write that down. Keys to rebuild the process of a pioneer. Keys to rebuild the process of of a pioneer. Let me just pray. Holy Spirit, I pray for today's encouragement that you would give life to those that are listening right now, where it feels like um, just death in some ways, where there's discouragement, there's hopelessness, um, there's uncertainty, doubt, unbelief. I just pray that you would breathe life on their soul today, encourage us today. God, I pray that you would open up our eyes to see what you have for us in this season. I pray that you'd open up the eyes that are list or watching right now or listening or the ears that are listening right now. You'd open them up to see themselves as the pioneer that you've called them to be in Jesus' name. Give us the tools that we need, God, to move forward in strength in this season. Amen. So like I said, this is a prophetic I believe encouragement for us in 2021, as I said, it was the second message or part of this is from the second message of the year and it's relevant to right now as we move in as a kingdom culture family into October, into our relaunch phase. And so, like I said, I was referring to what was titled Shaking Off Intimidation, Building Undistracted. I would encourage you, go back and listen to that. It was the second week of January. So like I said, I wanna talk about Nehemiah. And just before we dive into the text, Nehemiah, his name, names are always very 
um, important to understand when it comes to reading scripture. Names have meaning, okay? And when you understand the meaning of the names, it helps paint a greater picture of what God really wants to do and is saying through the passage or through the story. Nehemiah's name means Yahweh comforts, means God comforts. And I believe that God chose Nehemiah and raised Nehemiah up to comfort his people in a time where the walls and Jerusalem had been in shambles. It was in ruins. It had still lived in the residual of the effects of the Babylonian attacks decades and decades prior. And so Nehemiah hears of this, and he's just distraught about it. And I believe that his name represents the comfort that God had destined to bring through Nehemiah to Nehemiah's people, to his tribe. And so just to give you a little bit of a backdrop and a reminder, Nehemiah was a little Jewish uh, a boy exiled into Persia until the Medes and the Persians defeated King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar was actually the one who was in charge who through in Babylonian rule came over to Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, destroyed its walls, broke basically the livelihood in half, took uh, of the Jewish people in half, took a Jewish cap, uh, Jewish boys, Daniel was one of them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was another three of them, took these Jewish boys and, and people and families into captivity under Babylonian rule, okay? And this lasted for decades, okay? So you have to understand the picture now. J uh, Nehemiah was born in this place or in this time frame of captivity. So once the Babylonians were defeated by the Persian army and the people were released back to their hometown, back to Judah, Nehemiah decided to stay. And Nehemiah he wasn't a prophet, wasn't a king, he wasn't a priest. He was a cupbearer, a simple servant of high ranking. He became governor and he was raised up in this time. It was the fifth century to accomplish something that was much bigger than himself. Walls had been broken down, like I mentioned. The walls of Jerusalem, the things that pr pr represented protection, stability, the, the culture's livelihood that protected not only the city of Jerusalem, but the temple itself, the most sacred part of Jerusalem, the place where God Almighty, Yahweh, was worshipped and was there was sacrifices brought and offered in the temple. It was a it was that 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 place of their spiritual livelihood. And so these walls that stood as protection, stability, health, and wealth, these were in ruins. The gates had been destroyed by fire. And yet Nehemiah, a cupbearer, a servant, somebody who laid down his life every day for the king, King Anaxerxes was raised up in this time to begin the rebuilding process. Now, just so you know, a cupbearer um, in that time, like literally would drink the cup before the king would to make sure it wasn't poisoned. In other words, every day he was sacrificing his life, putting his life on the line. Every day he lived a life of risk. Every day he lived a life of danger. Every day he lived a life of of sacrifice and humility. And so he was well acquainted with what it looked like to be all in, to lay down their life. Kind of a picture of Jesus on the cross. Like every day Nehemiah potentially was about to die. And yet he did this gladly, willingly, and he was um, paid well, of course, and put into a position of honor. And so when the time came, 
God, Nehemiah had been prepared for a very long time. The time came, he answered the call. We'll get into this in a little bit. But I believe the church, I believe not only as kingdom culture, I believe the church at large, nationally, globally, needs to rebuild a little and possibly a lot in this season. Things have been broken down in the last season. Last 18 months, walls have been broken down. Things that once protected and stood as stability in our lives have been broken down. The doorways, the entryways, the gateways have been burned. Things have happened in the last 18 months, and we can see the ruins. We can see the rubble. And I believe that God is calling the church to be like a Nehemiah, to rise up in the pioneering spirit again in this season and see what they can do, what we can do to begin to rebuild strength into the body of Christ. Now, like I said, I had mentioned in my original message, I alluded to some of the things that I'm going to share today, only a few of them, though. But one of them was I talked about some of the walls symbolically that have been broken down in our lives. And this was in the beginning of January 2021. So many walls, good ones, have been broken down. Guards, stability, protection, defenses, things that were used to enforce security and stability in our lives have been broken down. And I wrote a few of these walls down that I mentioned in, in January 2021, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna read them again. I'm gonna add a few. Some of the walls that have been broken down in our lives in the last season have been the walls of the study of the Word of God. Maybe we've stopped diving into the Word of God. Now, maybe it's the opposite for you. I'm not speaking right now to everybody, but I'm speaking, I believe, generally to where the global church is at. There's so much has happened in the last season. For so many people, it's like the distraction of this season has ripped us from the Word of God. Now, you may be able to relate to some of these things and not relate to some of these things, but I believe you'll be able to relate at least a few of these things. But the walls of the study of the Word of God have been broken down. The walls of prayer so many people have become hopeless in their prayer. They prayed, they fasted, they prayed, and the thing that they believe for has not happened. Therefore, they've withdrawn from prayer. The walls of prayer that once protected the city of our heart, so to speak, or the, the soul of our life, the spirit of our life have been broken down. Walls of engaging in the right battles and not the wrong ones. Walls of focus, walls of boldness and faith, walls of purpose and confidence. We we just don't know anymore what we're called to. We don't have a confidence in where we're called to go and who we're called to be. Walls of joy and strength have been broken down. Walls of truth. And I want to add a few more into the mix that I've noticed. Walls of faith and staying the course. So many people have watched just come off the course, stop the race. They've not finished the race like Paul encouraged Timothy to finish. They've, they've stopped. They've not only stopped the race, they've gotten off the racetrack, so to speak. They've, the walls of faith and staying the course have broken down. You could call that perseverance. Walls of unity have broken down. There's never been a time when it's been so divisive and the walls of honor. And I say all these things, they may sound negative because I feel like the God is calling the church to pioneer again. He's bringing us into the pioneering process to rebuild. Yes, we have to be aware that these things are happening, generally speaking, and they're happening within our own culture and every single culture, community, spiritual community around us at some level. And God wants us to begin the rebuilding process. So in the first two chapters of Nehemiah, I see four main keys involved in the setting out or setting us out or establishing the pioneering process 
in our lives, okay? And whether we're rebuilding or just building, these apply to just the pioneer in general. If you want to build something from nothing or you want to rebuild. In fact, I think rebuilding is a lot harder than building because when you're rebuilding, you're somewhat, you're using what's already there at some level to rebuild. Yes, you're using new things, of course, but when you're rebuilding something, you're dealing with the old. When you're building something from scratch, it's a clean slate. In a lot of ways, it's a lot easier to build than it is to rebuild. But I want to give us four keys today that I see in the first two chapters of Nehemiah that I believe will help us understand what the process looks like of pioneering. Okay, so we're moving into this season of rebuild. Number one, write this down. Pray into our influence. Pray into our influence. What do I mean by that? Let's read Nehemiah chapter 1. This is part of the text that we're reading, verse 1. There are memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Achilia, in late autumn, okay, in late autumn, which is important that we understand because the next chapter that I'm going to read, as we break down some of the other points, it connects to this, okay? So in late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. Remember, they were released, right? Verse 3, they said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Verse 4, when I heard this, this is Nehemiah, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days, I mourned, fasted, and prayed to God of heaven. Let me just say this. And it, write this down if you can. If it doesn't bother you enough until it brings you to your knees, it's not a calling. Callings in life, a part of our calling, usually there is a, a, frust, a frustrated part of our calling. The things that we're often most called to are the things often we're most frustrated about. And if it doesn't bother you enough, frustrate you enough to bring you to your knees, it probably isn't a calling because God does this. He, 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 he allows us to see something. He allows us to see something with, with eyes of, of frustration, but ultimately with eyes of hope because inside of us, we have a solution. We have the answer. And so we see it. We're aware of it. It frustrates us. It makes us really upset because we're called to bring the solution. But it has to bother us enough to bring us to our knees to begin to pray because this is the step. This is step one to every great pioneer. I'm talking about spiritually speaking right now, okay? A spiritual pioneer, someone who's going to leave significant spiritual impact when they die. When they die, they go on, they're going to leave something spiritually significant. They started always with coming to their knees and praying about something. Every great healing revivalist out there that you've ever read about in revival history or anybody that's done anything for the kingdom that's made a mark on society, they started out with a burden to pray. They literally showed into the platform of their influence, what they were called to influence through prayer. And so if it doesn't bother you enough to bring you to your knees, it probably isn't a God calling. And so my question is, what is bringing you to your knees in this season in prayer? 
And if something is continuing to bring you to your knees in prayer, there's probably something in you that you are called to address within that thing, something in you that you are called to influence, something in you that you are called to occupy, and that's why it frustrates you so much. Write this down. Where you sow in prayer, you create a platform to influence. Where you sow in prayer, you create a platform to influence. And it's only the first step. I'm not saying that prayer is the only way we influence. I'm saying it's a first step. If you can learn to channel the burden and the frustration that you can see in society through prayer, guess what? God is going to begin to build the necessary strength that you need to move to the second step. So you can begin to move and practically take all that you've sown in prayer and see it become a platform to begin to influence. I mean, this is the thing, we can pray all we want, but until we engage culture, until we go, it's like the, the, the power of God is not in the uh, pray as you stay and God will heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. The power is as you go, it says in Matthew 10, Jesus said, as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out demons, freely as you have received, freely give. The power of God is in the as you go. So we can sit there and we can pray and we can fast, which is good, but it's also got to move into action. We have to live the life of sacrifice, live the life as an ambassador, live the life of a as a citizen of heaven and, 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 you know, and make the impact and actually do something with what we've got. It's got to move from prayer into action. Okay, so this is just a first step, but I, I can think back to so many instances in my life key instances in my life where it started out as prayer. In fact, my my journey with God for six months started out as prayer, mostly intercession. I didn't even know what the word intercession meant. I didn't understand intercession in the sense of like standing in the gap on behalf of two parties. I didn't understand what it meant, but I would get these burdens to pray for people, the burden to pray for the church, the burden to pray for the local church, the burden to see a move of God and pray. And, and you know, and I, I even the burden to encourage people. I would spend hours writing prophetic encouragement cards, anonymous. I would write them out. I'd get a word for somebody in my community and I would leave it uh, in their mailbox and it would just be anonymous and I would encourage them and I just practiced the art of encouragement. Uh, and but, but it started through prayer. I'd be praying for them and then God would give me a word for them. And I'd say, honestly, the, the whole my whole prophetic journey, my whole ministry journey to do what I'm doing today started out by just simply praying for people in my bedroom, praying for burdens, praying for things that frustrated me, praying for the local church, praying for the global church, praying for moves of God to take place around me and in the church at large. And this is where it all started. I can remember one specific instance where, you know, the, I, I begin to dream about this one individual in a high place of, in, in, of, of influence. And I had no connection whatsoever. I began to pray for six months. I began to pray. I even told my wife, I think I'm going to have some sort of connection somehow, whether it's direct or indirectly to this individual. I've been dreaming about them and I've been praying for them for six months. I've been sowing in prayer into a platform that one day I believe I'll have to influence at some capacity. And within six months, I had an opportunity, the door opened, literally, I wasn't even in my own city, the door opened and I began to step into the very prayers that I had prayed to begin to influence indirectly to the specific individual. And so you just never know, when God gives you a burden, 
and it drives you to your knees, know this, that God is preparing you for some form of influence. Now, I'm not saying everyone's going to have this massive, you know, platform to do whatever God's called them to do, but you're going to have a platform in the spirit to see change. You're going to have a platform. If God's giving you a burden, know that God is going to give you influence within that burden to see change, even if it's through prayer. But I believe that prayer is really just the first step in the door. Number two, number two, acknowledge the circumstances. Second key in the process of pioneering, acknowledge the circumstances. Talk about what's happening. Get it out. Acknowledge it. Process it. My counselor, you know, the counselor that Michelle and I see, um, you, you've, you've heard about him, Dr. Glenn Hill. Uh, we've done webinars. We've hosted webinars with him, I think three now. And he's just an incredible individual and uh, also, you know, now a mentor in my life in many ways. And my he's he's been so good with Michelle and I in helping us continue to process emotion, process the things that are going on, acknowledge the circumstances through acknowledging and processing what we are going through. Now, like I said, in the first chapter of Nehemiah, it started out in the autumn, okay? Now we're moving into Nehemiah chapter two. It's about six to seven months in between these two moments. So think about this for a second. I don't know, but Nehemiah had about six to seven months of awareness of what was going on, mourning and praying about the whole situation of his of his people, his hometown, so to speak, like where he belongs, like his heritage, his roots, literally living in ruins, broken down walls, no protection, no defenses, vulnerability. The temple was vulnerable, so to speak. And yet he's been praying six to seven months now. So he's sowing into prayer. He's sowing into this platform of what I don't even think he knows he's about to influence. So Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1, early the following spring, six to seven months later, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. Remember, he was a cupbearer, okay? He would drink the, the wine, making sure it wasn't poisoned, because in this culture, coups were always happening, you know, the king's, Often people had an agenda, take the king out. So they had these cupbearers to make sure to lay their life down every day. It's funny because Jesus in the gospel was like a Nehemiah. He drank the cup of suffering. In fact, in Matthew, when he's in the garden of Gethsemane, he asked God, please take this cup of suffering from me. Take this cup. I don't want to drink it. But yet, because he knew this cup was a cup of death. It was a cup of death. It wasn't like in the sense of like Nehemiah where Nehemiah didn't die from drinking poison. Jesus literally was going to drink the poison of death. It was like sin, the sin of all humanity. And uh, and and he would take the sin upon his body to destroy the work of sin in our life. It's the gospel. Nehemiah was like a foreshadow of Jesus, okay? So early the following spring, month of Nisan, he was serving the king as wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence, in the king's presence. Verse two, so the king asked me, why are you looking sad? You don't look sick to me, you must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified, but I replied, long live the king, how can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. He is acknowledging the circumstances, he's processing his emotion. But it's interesting to me because we see this about six to seven months later, this is happening. Uh, we have no evidence of what was happening in those six to seven months, but like the king 
this day specifically noticed something different. And I, I believe it's because something was beginning to happen. It was like the, the assignment, like literally the mantle had fallen on Nehemiah. Nehemiah could no longer hide it. He could no longer go into work and, and, and you know, kind of sh shroud it from his boss, so to speak. It was like all of a sudden it was like he got it, what he was carrying. It was like a mantle from God. His boss all of a sudden now had awareness, had awareness that something's different about Nehemiah. There's something happening in him. And so this is where Nehemiah began to process it. This is where Nehemiah began to share what was going on. He processed his sadness. And I think so many leaders, and I've heard this, okay, this is not just hearsay. This is not just, you know, I'm, I'm assuming. I've talked to so many leaders right now, leaders of ministries, leaders of churches, pastors, and uh, there's lots of sadness right now of the state of where things are going. Lots of sadness of the state of where things are at within the church and how society and culturally things are now affecting the church and the strength of the church and the emotional stability of some of the people within the community, some of these outside influences, how they're affecting so many people, so divisive right now, so many leaders, so many pastors I talk to are sad. And this is a, a time to process and acknowledge the sadness but only as a means to begin to move forward into a solution, not as a means to stay there, wallow in it, woe is me, love, this is just horrible, and we're never gonna move forward. No, Nehemiah didn't stay there. He acknowledged his circumstances. Yes, he prayed, but then he acknowledged his circumstances. And in the acknowledgement of his circumstances, the king began to inquire of him, began to inquire of him, and you'll see this in the next, um, uh, point, begin to inquire of him to help him find a solution of what could come next. And like I said, uh, I think we are in a season where God is raising up pioneers again. He's raising up pioneers to stand up and fight for what's right, and especially to rebuild the strength of his church. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not just talking about kingdom culture. I'm talking about globally at large that we can rebuild some of the things now that have been in ruins as a result of the last season. I heard this preacher say, what makes people great is when you are troubled by what makes other people comfortable. What makes people great is when you are troubled by what makes other people comfortable. Because what bothers you does not always bother others. Here we have Nehemiah who's bothered by something. I don't know if King Artaxerxes had awareness of what was going on, had awareness, I'm sure he was a king, had awareness that the gates and the, the doors, the entryways were burned with fire, the walls had been in ruins, broken down, they had no protection, so to speak, stability, speaks so much to the stability of the city. I'm sure the king knew about it but it didn't bother him. It didn't bother him enough to maybe bring it up in conversation with Nehemiah, but it bothered Nehemiah because Nehemiah had a mantle calling an assignment on his life, a favor on his life to do something about it. That's the pioneering spirit. When you know that you have what it takes to do something about something that's frustrating you. I think one of the things about rebuilding in this season that's that's so important that even some of the leaders I've talked to are just troubled with their in their spirit about is the challenge with their team culture. The challenge with those that once were in a rhythm and a flow and it's going to be our challenge as well. 
moving back into a season where we're in person. You know, for 19 months, we've been out of rhythm. Most of the departments and, you know, teams have on, on in some way been, been disbanded, so to speak, like they haven't been functioning because we've been online. And so to get back into those, the, that flow again is going to be challenging. This is across the board, just team involvement, team culture, seeing the value of the house of God and the part I play that Paul speaks about over and over again about the part you play in the body. And when you find your space, you nourish the other people in the body. And if you don't find your space, other other people in the body, you know, get weak. It's like when we all work together and we all carry a part of the load by understanding our role, our responsibility, knowing what we're gifted in, our skill sets, what God's gifted and graced us with. When we put all that together, it brings strength to the whole. I think this is one of the challenges that we are going to be facing moving forward, not just as kingdom culture, but as a global maybe more North American, at least, a church culture, at least those that have been affected by the lockdowns, especially some of the provinces that have had more aggressive lockdowns than others, like Ontario, for example. But this is a part of what God's doing, raising up the pioneers, and I believe putting on a pioneering spirit over us in this season. But Nehemiah had this, in his acknowledgement of the circumstances, had this awareness that he was called to be a part of something bigger than himself. So let me ask you the question, do you feel that you are called to be a part of something bigger than yourself? Maybe it's in business, maybe it's in government, maybe it's within your family. I don't know what it is for you, but I do know this, that being a part of the house of God is one component of that, being part of God's house and putting him first and making him and what he is about as a priority is one component of being a part of something bigger than ourselves. As the church gets stronger, it displays, the Bible says in Ephesians, the manifold wisdom of God. We want to see the manifold wisdom of God displayed to our culture. How do we do that? How do we get there? by having a strong culture, by having a strong family, by building a strong church community that reaches out into the culture, into the city to make a difference. I'm not talking about just Sunday morning. I'm talking about what we do during the week as the church, the ecclesia, which is the called out ones in the Greek. The word church literally translated is the ecclesia in the Greek. It means the called out ones. It doesn't mean the building where you gather. When I say church, I'm not talking about the building where you gather. I'm talking about those that make up the body of Christ, that make up the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones that are called to change culture. That's what I'm talking about. And we have a, I believe God has a plan in this season that, I, that, that, that to, to, to help us influence culture by helping us rebuild some of the spiritual ruins that we are seeing in the church at large. And so number three, number three, we have communicate the vision. Remember, we have number one, pray into our influence. Number two, acknowledge the circumstances. And number three, communicate the vision. Nehemiah chapter two, verse four, the king asks, well, how can I help you? Like I said earlier, you know, after he processed his circumstance, acknowledged his circumstance, then the king began to inquire, okay, so how can we make this happen? And there was a turning point. Here, his boss saw something special on Nehemiah and had it in his heart because he could see something was shifting. So he said, how can we make this happen? He says, how can I help you? With a prayer to God of heaven, verse five, I replied, if it please the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, 
send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Verse six, the king with the queen sitting beside him asked, how long will you be gone? When will you return? And after I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. We see in this passage that Nehemiah knew how to communicate right to the king. He didn't just go in there with guns ablazing, saying that like, you must release me. He went in with honor, humility, and he learned how to communicate. When And I think, and I don't wanna focus on that part of it, but I wanna focus on the communication part of it. He knew how to communicate his vision. He knew how to communicate so that he could see the outcome that he knew God wanted him to see. I believe in this moment, he knew that something was happening. There was a change and a transition on the inside of Nehemiah. But he had to learn to communicate. Communication is key. If you wanna move forward and you wanna be successful, as a pioneer, you have to learn how to communicate right. You have to learn how to communicate your vision. You have to learn how to approach the right people the right way so you can begin to take the necessary steps to advance in and through your life. But Nehemiah had lots of prep for this. I mean, he was with the king day in and day out, laying down his life learning the language of the palace, the language of the king. And I feel like this is a part symbolic to our relationship with God, the king himself. As we develop as we develop through time, we give time to our relationship with God, we get into the word, we begin to learn his language. We begin to learn leadership. We begin to learn what Jesus wants for our lives. We begin to see what he sees for our lives so that when it's time to pull us out, when it's time to draw us out, when it's time to call us out, we're ready. Nehemiah had been well-versed with sacrifice, well-versed with risk, well-versed with literally laying his life down for a cause. In this case, it was the cause of the livelihood of the king. That's why he said, long live the king, if it pleased the king. He kept using that language, okay? His whole life was centered around the king making it for the long haul. That's why he would drink the wine, drink the cup on behalf of the king to make sure the king would live and not be poisoned. And so now it comes to a time where all of a sudden everything had been preparing preparing Nehemiah for just this. He was ready to lay his life down for his brothers and sisters, to rebuild what God wanted to rebuild, to rebuild the walls again. You know, it's kind of funny, you know, we talk about this all the time. From a church standpoint, it's a church without walls because the church, as the Bible talks about, the church is not a building, it's the people. So wherever the people are, the church is. And so yes, we gather and yes, we assemble and yes, there is a value and, and a strength that comes when we gather and assemble. But remember, no matter where we gather and assemble, we are the church and we make up the walls. We are, so to speak, the walls of the church. And Peter talks about us as living stones. We are one stone in the building of God, building into a spiritual temple. And when every stone finds their place and fits the way that they're called to fit, guess what? We have an infrastructure to see some major things happen and spiritual shifts happen, not only in our city, but our own individual lives because everything starts within the house. Everything begins within the house and is called to trickle out of the house, just as it is with our private life, the home life. If we want to have a, uh, a victorious public life, we have to have a victorious 
private life. The same thing. If we want to have a church that impacts the city, we have to have a healthy church culture where everybody finds their place again and becomes that stone that fits perfectly in the wall. And I feel like this is a prophetic picture of some of what's happening in the church right now. There's some ruins. There's been some some things that have been burnt, people that have been misplaced and things that have taken people out off track. And here we are, the church with the Nehemiah spirit coming in to rebuild again what's in shambles. And I believe God is going to do an amazing work, and it's going to be quick, just like it was in Nehemiah's time. But Nehemiah had been prepared just for this. Write this down. Your purpose is hidden within the process leading up to moments just like this. Nehemiah would one day lay down his life risk his life because, you know, as we, we see and we're, maybe we're going to dive into more of all the opposition that Nehemiah came up against and some of the accusation and lies, people wanting to take him out physically, he had to risk his life to rebuild the wall. The pioneering spirit does not come without its opposition, does not come without its obstacles, does not come without it, its, you know, negative circumstances, but we are overcomers. And so your purpose is hidden within the process leading up to moments just like this. His purpose was literally hidden in all the processes of his life, laying down his life every day for the king. And my question to you is, are you ready to step in? And I'm not talking, I don't want you to hear, hear me talking just about the church, okay, uh, as far as like kingdom culture. I'm talking about your own life as you move into this fall season. Maybe it's your own business. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's you're, you're in government, you're in education. Whatever field you, you are in, I believe you can apply certain things that I'm sharing today to those areas of your life. And I know for me, part of this um, was launching my schools. Launching my schools. You know, this the point that we're on just to, to help us understand is communicate the vision learning how to communicate. Learning how to communicate is absolutely key. And I feel like I had a Nehemiah experience with my schools way back in the beginning. Like everything like you've heard me say over and over again, everything that I've done today came as an overflow and as a result of me launching my Schools of the Supernatural back in 2004. And I remember the only reason why I launched these schools, I don't even think I had it in my heart to do a school. I honestly, I don't know. I don't, I don't even remember, to be honest with you. That's how it just happened organically. But I do remember this. I had several people come up to me. And this was probably in the mid to end of 2003. They had heard about my experiences. They had heard about my journey, my travels, all that was happening in my life. And they were hungry for more of God. This was back before YouTube, you guys, okay? This was back before we had an all-access pass to all kinds of crazy, good and bad, you know, teaching out there. And so I remember people came to me and were saying, hey, Sean, like, and I was a part of this church in the city, it's a conservative church, would you, like, teach us? Like, we're hungry. These are people that had been walking with Jesus longer than I'd been alive at this point. And they were saying, teach us. We want to learn about the supernatural. We want to learn about the voice of God. We want to learn about how to take that and bring it to the streets. And it wasn't being taught in there around them. They had just no grid for it. And after a few of these people began to approach me, I started to think, okay, you know what? Obviously, they see something in me that I don't see. I had felt frustrated about the lack of teaching that I saw around me. I had felt frustrated about the lack of 
evangelism that was happening on the street. I had felt frustrated about the lack of spiritual momentum and movement that I was seeing around me. I had felt kind of sad, kind of like Nehemiah. It's like I, I saw what could be, but I didn't have the language yet. And this prompted me. This moved me, kind of like what happened with Nehemiah. Like he heard about the ruins, he heard about it, he was sad, he began to pray. This prompted me to begin to pray. This prompted me to begin to acknowledge the circumstances. This prompted me to begin to spend the next six months developing my first course, kind of just like this. It was six to seven months between the time of his prayer and, and, and his acknowledgement to his call, the beginning of Nehemiah's call. And for me, the same thing. It was like this six to seven to nine month process of developing my first school was a result of these people pulling from me. And so this helped me learn how to develop communication learn how to develop what it means to communicate the vision as to why you need to, I need to, we need to recognize the voice of God in and through our lives, as you heard about me talk, talk about last week. And if, I, if you haven't heard it, go back. I'd encourage you to listen to it. But this helped me learn how to communicate. And when you can learn how to communicate, this is what happens next. All of a sudden now, the vision becomes a reality. All of a sudden, you put foundation to your vision. You put an infrastructure to your vision. The language you use and your communication literally puts foundation and infrastructure to your vision so that people can begin to see it for what it really is supposed to be. And when they can see it, they come around it and they support it and they help you move it forward. And this was my experience. And this leads us to number four, begin the journey, begin the journey. Now, Nehemiah, he's got the support, he's communicated the vision, he's acknowledged the circumstances, he spent time in prayer, and now it's called. he's called to begin the journey. Begin the journey. It says in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 9 to 10, when I came to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letters to them. The king, I should add, had sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. But when Sanballat, the Horonite and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard of my arrival, they were displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. And there you have it. The beginning of opposition begins. When you begin your journey, guess what happens right after that? The beginning of oppositions. When you begin, so do the attacks. Every beginning will attract barriers. If you're called to pioneer, whether it's to build something from nothing or rebuild something that has been broken down, you will come up against opposition. And we might move into this a little bit later in the latter part of October, we'll begin to break down some of these things. I did address some of these things in the January message, though, and I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. But we have the beginning of the journey. We see here the king, King Artaxerxes, gave support to Nehemiah for his vision, gave him the provision he needs, gave him the resources that he needs. Because the truth is, the truth is that God protects and supports and provides for wherever he's called us to go. And just as the king in the natural provided and supported Nehemiah, so does the king in the spiritual, Jesus Christ. When we do what he's called us to do, we begin the journey. We begin to see the process, the support, the resources that we need to move forward and to win. But know that that does not come without its challenges and opposition. 
And so that's today's encouragement. I want to encourage you to soak that in your spirit in the season as we move into October. And I know that I'm speaking to people online right now, and as I'm speaking the same message live in person with our team right now, I know that it's a word for the season, that as we move forward, as we pioneer again, these are some of the, this is part of the process that we have to go through. Number one, let me say it again, we have to pray into our influence. Number two, acknowledge the circumstances. Number three, communicate the vision. And number four, begin the journey and then watch what God does. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for today. And I just pray that you would help us see clearer the process of the pioneering spirit, the process of pioneering in this season, what it looks like to rebuild again, to rebuild what's been broken down, to rebuild the things that in our lives, whether it's from family, relationships, job, career, church, whatever it is, there is a challenge and there is a process to pioneering in the rebuilding process. And I believe that you've given us these keys to rebuild in this season so that we can win, so that we can strengthen not only the house of God, but the house of our lives, the house of our career, the house of our family, that every other house in our life that houses something of strength and goodness, that God, you would help us to rebuild areas that may have been fractured or broken down in this season. God, I pray for healing. I pray for healing, God. I pray for healing in this season. God, I pray for those that are just struggling to have hope in this season. To, uh, uh, they feel like they're so far away from the pioneering spirit. They, they feel like they just don't want to pioneer. They've pioneered. They've had their whole city burnt down, burnt to the ground. Not only the walls are burned down, it's like everything's just burned down. Everything is in a, a mess, a pile, a heap. I just pray that they would be able to see that heap, that ruin, with your eyes in this season, that you would return hope again in Jesus' name. So God, we thank you for what you're going to do on this day, the soft launch coming back in person. God, I pray both for the online and I pray for us as we're meeting in live and in person that God, you would do something so strong in this season and give us what we need to advance the way that you called us to advance in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, Kingdom Culture. We will see you next week.